Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. You ready for the NBA opener? Well, for the Jazz NBA opener. I know there were two games last night. The Bucks got to lift the lid on the season. They got to play the season's first game, and they got the win over the Nets. But it's the Jazz that matter in these parts, so let's skip right to that. I will say, when I watch the Dodgers, I do think of the Jazz. I know it's different. Dodgers have the biggest pay- payroll. They're the defending Major League champs. <coughs> Won it all last year in that shortened season. But they had a terrific regular season. 106 wins. Weren't the one seed. Did get the big playoff win in the wild card game. Did get the big win in the divisional series. Gutting out. Their fans are tortured. Okay, they're defending champs. It's not a perfect analogy with the Jazz. But they were almost done last night. And Bellinger hits the three-run homer to tie the game. Betts drives in the winning run, and they get the 6-5 win. So they're back in the series. Just thinking, that's the agony Jazz fans are inevitably in for in the postseason this year. I think they'll make it. I think they'll make it comfortably in a good spot in the seeding. I don't know if they'll be one, but they were one last year. I don't think they'll fight and scrape for every last win trying to get one. I think they'll make sure that they're rested and healthy going into the playoffs. Now, if you can get one and be rested and healthy, of course they'll do that. Um, but inevitably in playoff series, there are ups and there are downs and there's stress and there's tension. And you think you're done and then you're back and you think you've won and then you haven't. And the Dodgers have gone through all of that. And they may go through a lot more. I mean, they could lose the next two and be done. Uh, But there's been plenty of drama along the way. That last series with the Giants, that was a very dramatic series. And that's how it usually has to be in the postseason. you you got to grind. But first, 82 regular season games. So, for the Jazz, it starts tonight against Oklahoma City. 7 o'clock here on The Zone. Uh, We're going to get you started today with a little Quinn Snyder. Meeting with the media as the Jazz prepare for their season opener. Here's the Jazz head coach. How have things been feeling the last couple of days as you're getting closer to you know, opening day? I, I think you know at this point, guys are ready to play. It, it feels like a longer preseason um, because I think the last two preseasons we had were pretty short. So, um, you know, having this stretch... After our last preseason game before the regular season, I think you know it's. I think we talked previously about just how you manage it, where you try to balance execution and continuity and things with with health and rest. And I think we've done that, and we're ready to go. We've been talking to Donovan quite a bit about you know what his ceiling is and what he needs to do to take the next step, get to the next level. He talks a lot about wanting to improve on the defensive end. Do you think that there's any truth to the idea that if the guy exerts himself, you know, so much on the offensive end, the way that Donovan does, that it kind of takes away from being able to exert himself the same amount on the other side? Um, there's always a little truth to everything, you know. Um, I, I think the, the truth is if you allow yourself that out, that, you know, when you get tired, it's easier to take it. And I think that's something that, Donovan's the reason he's saying that um, is because I think he's determined to, you know, to, to commit to every possession, you know, and that's really, you know, whether it's offense or defense or when you're on the bench, you know, literally watching the game and seeing how people are guarding you, 
Um, you know, I'd like to think there isn't a ceiling. You know, the minute we set a ceiling, you know, maybe you hit it. Um, and I think in his case, um, it's just reflective of a focus. And yes, it's it's hard to focus on every possession. It just is. Um, and sometimes it's not necessarily because you don't want to, you know, play offense or play defense. You're reacting to a call or a missed shot or your man scoring on you. Um, you know, so that, that focus and that concentration, I think, is something that, you know, he's continued to emphasize and continue to improve. When you've had kind of a week-long run-up between the last preseason game and the start of tomorrow, how much of what you've done has been kind of just like general getting ready stuff that you're going to be doing in general and versus like at what point did you kind of start fine-tuning versus when you're going to I, I think, you know, I've mentioned that I think there's some very specific things that we want to um, keep in the front of our minds throughout the course of the year. And usually that involves trying to touch those things, if not daily, you know, consistently. Um, sometimes those, you know, be, be it something like running. Um, I'd like to think that no matter who we're playing, that that you know, needs to be an emphasis and something that we commit to and commit to on a level that's above what we did last year. It's hard to practice. You know, we're not a track team. So it's hard to practice just sprinting. Once you're in shape, um, it becomes more a question of, of training and, you know, trying to figure out ways to train those things um, from a coaching perspective is always, you know, um, an area that, you try to be a little bit innovative. Um, sometimes it's just through emphasis. Sometimes there's different drills you create. But again, even in a in a drill setting, maybe a warm up is involved where we're just training, you know, mental habits because you know running. There's physics. Once you start going, it's it's easier to keep going. And if you don't run right away, it's harder to get going. So. Um, just as one example that, that I think you can apply to a lot of different things as far as the way we're trying to practice to prepare us and what we need to be better at and what we need to do more of and then also balancing in, you know, your opponent, you know. So uh, the, the preparation for individual opponents, you know, starts now. Yes, is there a sense of normalcy returning tomorrow? Just a full 82 game schedule, fans back in the arena, you know, more days off between games, less back-to-back. Is there a sense of normalcy there a little bit? I don't know that anyone really remembers normal. You know, everything from where people are sitting to um, what the various protocols are. I think the, the normal part of it is, I think, being ready to adapt to change. And if you approach it from that standpoint, I think you're prepared, um, you know, wherever the season goes, hopefully – uh, nothing to indicate that, you know, things are going to be different, um, but certainly they are different than last year. So um, the thing that's not different is there's five guys on each team out there, you know, competing and playing basketball. And that, that's the part that we know is going to happen. Yesterday, I saw you having an extended conversation with Jared Butler after mm-hmm. practice. I imagine that those happen often. And I'm wondering how important it is to have conversations, no matter the subject, with a guy like Jared, his rookie season, maybe he's going to have to practice patience. Mm-hmm. How often, how much of a part of your job is it to make sure that 
you connect with him, not just as a coach, but as a Sure. Um, I mean, I, I think that's an integral part of my job, you know, on multiple levels. <clears throat> um, I think one of the things that um, – that Jared's dealing with this, you know, every press conference, I get more Jared Butler questions than I do Rudy Gobert questions. Um, and we talk about Jared needing to practice patience. Um, I would argue that, you know, that's something we all should practice. Um, and to the extent that Jared's focus is on, you know, achieving something or showing something or playing X minutes or doing these things that that's taking the focus away from what he needs to be doing. It's just trying to get better. And, you know, I, I think to the, to the patient's part, understanding that, you know, getting better um, a lot of times involves making mistakes and to, to, to be patient with yourself about, um, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to be perfect. And, you know, it, that's an adjustment for every, for every player. I, I think even our veteran guys, Rudy, Rudy Gay's practicing patience right now. Cause he's not, you know, he's out there on the alter G we moved it out to the court so that he can kind of be a part of practice. And, um, JC practices patience every game when he's itching to get in at like the four minute mark. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a crucial component of what makes a team function. Um, and, you know, Jared's no different than anyone, except that, you know, this is his first go at. When, by and large, NBA teams have 15 different guys with 15 different backgrounds. You guys have Donovan and Eric, who are like lifelong friends, neighbors since they were young, right? So what does that do to a locker room? And what is that? I mean, kind of what influence does that have on the team? That's a, it's a different background. You know, I, I don't think you, 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 you can, uh, separate it's just a, it's another it's no different in, in in the fact that it's different but that, that's kind of the point and someone that's from australia or someone's from france two guys went to high school together um i think all those dynamics have an opportunity to make you better um so um you wouldn't you, you don't watch his practice and go oh those two guys played together you know that that's not um you know they're different players and different people and, uh, you know, you can tell the guys that have played together for a long time when you watch his practice. And I think part of it for Eric has been, you know, understanding the ways that he can help impact, um, you know, our team positively. And Donovan's someone that can, you know, can help translate that, um, you know, from, from a number of different vantage points because he's been through it too. But I, I don't think that – and, you know, Donovan's not looking at Eric any differently than he's looking at Jared. He's probably talking to Jared a whole lot more than he is Eric because they're playing the same position. So, um, you know, Eric's his own guy and Donovan's his own guy. And as long as we don't have too many Duke guys, we'll be all right. All right. There is Quinn Snyder as the Jazz prepare for their season opener tonight. Got a lot of road games at the start of the year, but got a home game tonight. Actually be on the road Friday against Sacramento. Oklahoma City and Sacramento. Yeah, the list of people who think those teams are going to the playoffs is real short. Winnable games right out of the start. Jazz need to be 1-0 when they go to bed tonight, and they need to be 2-0 when we get to Saturday morning. That's the way that needs to work. Just start in the right place. This is a team, I think, that is built to start fast. They've got so many guys back, and they're relatively healthy out of the gate. They are waiting for uh, Rudy Gay and the heel uh, surgery to heal up. 
That's the use of the word heel too much, too close together. But this team with enough guys back, prepared to win, and I expect they will. We'll have more on this as the morning progresses, but we need to get you some Ute and Cougar football as well. Frank Dolce is coming up later in the hour. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, is next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's a Friday night showdown in Logan as Blake Anderson and the Aggies welcome in the Colorado State Rams for a big Mountain West Conference battle. Listen all week long for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Friday at 6.30. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to check in our weekly visit with Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Morning, fellas. How we doing? Good. I am curious uh, if you think a loss like BYU just went through feels different. Just getting physically dominated at the line of scrimmage, as opposed to a Boise State game where you're thinking, "Man, made a you know yeah. three mistakes with three fumbles." I'll even set that fourth interception aside because the game could have been a very different point with two minutes to go and maybe that wouldn't have happened you know those fumbles we could have that could have been really different whereas the Baylor game man you're getting on the bus afterwards and you're thinking 300 yards rushing and our star running back only ran for 33 yards Ah! so I'm just wondering what you think the team is thinking and feeling and how that impacts them going forward yeah I think it's uh that's definitely a tough one right that's a tough pill to swallow um you you know have so much confidence in kind of the power right behind the offensive, um, but to see it go down that way, you start to kind of rethink and you know kind of reevaluate what type of strength and power you have against top tier teams, right? Um, and what's the difference between the first part of the season? And yes, we can sit here and talk about well, it's early in the season, it's all these different things, but you know personally that the difference really has been kind of that strength and that overpower and the the confidence that the defensive line and that box had and I don't know if that's a loss because of Keenan Peely or, or what the deal is there but um that was a uh, that was a different ball game and a different football team that we saw Saturday. Yeah, I think that Peely injury, the season ender, I think he suffered it against ASU, if I remember correctly. That's that's. Yeah. I, I think it's been underreported because uh, I believe he was their best defensive player. I mean, they've got a, Will Gar mm-hmm. and some other guys are really good, but I think he was their best. And you yeah. don't replace your best because he is your best. But nevertheless, this is football, so they've got to find ways to step up from these other guys. Now, maybe they can get better with they have more experience, but what's your confidence level that the defense can rebound because, I mean, they got thrashed by Baylor. Yeah, and and, and I do. I, I do have a ton of confidence. And even looking at the, the rest of that injury report, you look at, you know, uh, you look at Zoe Palatea, 
being out and kind of that that spirit of the defensive line, right? And what he brings to the table and the energy that he brings uh, for the defense is huge. And so when you look at the loss of those two players, you're kind of, just like you said, right? The difference between being a top-tier team is the depth that you have to replace those types of injuries. And so if, those, if, those, if the depth isn't there, right, then where do you fall among the rest of college football? And so... Um, you know, I think over time, right, in terms of growth and in terms of what the future looks like for BYU, like I said from the very beginning, the recruiting classes aren't going to get worse by any means. They're only going to get better. Uh, and so I think what you're going to see over the next few years is that talent continue to develop and that depth continue where there isn't this talent gap, you know, forget experience, but there isn't this talent gap between, you know, the first and second level guys uh, in that in that box. So Kalani's talked a lot about the depth of this team being better, and I think that uh, big picture, that's probably true. But then when you start breaking it down by position group, it isn't true for every position group, certainly not to the same level, right? We know they've got two quarterbacks. We know there's depth at wide receiver. Now, the old line has had guys coming and going, and certainly BYU did not run the ball the way we expected. Do you... How much faith do you have in the depth of the O-line? Are there specific guys that can't be replaced the way Peely can't? He's just too good. You're not going to have another Peely coming off the bench. You're just not. And I, Right, exactly. And, and I think that goes off of age, right? And who's, you know, what is the depth of this team in regards to how many young players are involved? The, the, maybe seasoned and, and they might be juniors and some may even be seniors. But the depth goes back to, you know, true freshmen, right? Uh, that's who we're going out there with. And so you have, you, you have to understand that you have to give those guys time. Um, and when Kalani talks about the depth being better, I mean, if you look at even where we were in 2018, right, when this staff really just started to kind of ramp things up, the depth wasn't – like, we didn't have the depth at starters, right? Like, our first 22 guys that were out on the field weren't – as good as some of the second deep guys or the two deep guys that BYU has today. And so if you look at where the depth is in comparison and where that growth has come from is, is huge, is, is incredibly different. Um, now it's just a matter of continuing to build upon that and, and getting the guys that you know we need to be able to develop, not just a couple positions too deep, but every position too deep, and now preparing to get the three deep uh, in a, you know, in, in top tier talent. So, Dylan, if I remember correctly, my timeline is right. You played for Nick Rolovich in Hawaii, did you not? Uh-huh. I did. Right. I did. So, this is a wild, wild story. Uh, what do you know of him? What can you tell us about him as far as uh, are you surprised by all this? Um, I've obviously had a, a, a lot of time to think about this, right? Since, since the report first came out that he was in this situation. Um, and then just talking to teammates throughout the weeks uh, on, you know, what the different opinions and different reactions are. And then even last night when the news, uh, the news broke, having conversations with teammates. And, you know, um, if there's one thing about Rolo, right, he is, a, he is a player's first guy. And I think you've seen that in the reaction from the Washington State players, right? Now, my first two years with Rolo were his first two years as a head coach in college football. And so you saw a lot of learning, a lot of growth, 
um, and a lot of areas where you kind of say, okay, like, yep, this is the effects of being a new head coach. Uh, to see the reaction of his players, right, and really just the devastation proves out that over the last few years, he's done nothing but continue to grow in regards to being a head coach, but as well as building relationships and building the character of these players. And so, you know, that's where this type of thing becomes very difficult because, you know, you look at the choices that were made because it obviously is a choice, right? And I have no qualms with whatever choice anybody wants to make, right? You have that freedom to choose. But when you look at the adverse effect of what this may do to some of those kids that literally had zero opportunity, right? And now, based off the experience that I've had with Rolo, right, now have a world of confidence and a world of potential to go out and really have faith in themselves to go achieve what they want, right, um, is, is huge. And so, uh, you know, once again, right, you got, you got the freedom to choose, and, and I respect his decision. And we, when he makes decisions, he's going to stick, you know, he's going to stick with those decisions. Um, and if he feels it's for the best, right, then it's for the best for him and his family. Uh, but you got to look at what what these players are about to go through, especially in the change, um, and and losing him is kind of their their lighthouse uh, as as a leader. So uh, you know, it's obviously a tough tough experience for them specifically. So the O line coach is out. The uh, co-offensive yep. coordinator slash quarterbacks coach is out. The head coach is out. That's on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, right. Rollo's got the right. offensive background. So I'm curious for the BYU defense, how much do you think of what they see on film is going to apply? I think it's most of it. And then in-game adjustments, that would seem to be really hard for Washington State. If the Cougar defense can get the upper hand that uh-huh. would be more important than usual, I th- would think. If you can get the upper hand and get a lead, uh, do you buy all that? Yeah. There's, there's, two, there's two parts of that, right? You, you have the first part being what type of adjustments can be made. The beautiful thing about Rolo's offense is that really everything is player-based. It's extremely simple to learn. It's extremely simple to understand as you begin to understand the game of football, right? And so the way that the offense is taught in terms of formations, in terms of play calls, in terms of adjustments, is all based off of coverage. There's almost zero communication with the coaches during a actual game, right? You're going to get the signal, which is, you know, to be honest with you, right? We could open up the playbook right now at Washington State. You're going to see four different uh, – you're going to see two different types, Right. You're going to see a lot of 12. You're going to see a lot of 11 and a lot of 10. Uh, and then you're going to see about four different formations that are based off of a number call. And that's it, right? Everything else is going to be an RPO base, and that is going to be contingent on what the defense is showing you. And the quarterback has the ability to change all of that at the line without zero kind of recognition or confirmation from the coach. And so the ability to run that offense is going to be very simple for them. Now, you look at the core base, right? What happens in a game when an offensive line is getting beat up, right? You have that ability to kind of regroup with your coach. Uh, you have the ability to kind of 
find your way and, and go back to the offensive line coach like Weber and gain that type of confidence. But unfortunately, he's not going to be there. And so if BYU is able to bring that pressure and bring the heat and you know play a much more physical game than they played this last Saturday, then they should be able to put this to rest very quickly, right? Um, and And I just don't see there being much opportunity for a team like Washington State in this type of situation they're in to find any type of momentum with the amount of coaches that are gone, especially with Rolo. Why do you say especially Rolo as opposed to the assistants? Because um, uh, I get Rolo has a much, much more involved football scheme than most head coaches you'll see, right? Uh, when it comes to the football, the only chance and the only ability that Rolo has to be extremely successful is when he is actually touching the offense. Um, if he takes that bystander look and says, hey, I trust my guys, right? I trust the passing game coordinator. I trust the run game coordinator to run this offense. Uh, the effects, they're, they're not there, right? They don't have the level of comprehension that Rolo does. Uh, Nick Rolovich is one of the most dynamic offensive minds in the game of football. That dude is, um, like, brainiac smart when it comes to football. And so, you know, that's his passion. That's his, that is his strength. And so if he isn't a key part of that, then you're not going to be – the success isn't surrounded by him. I can, I can promise you that. The success really stands, starts, and is, you know, kind of the momentum is gained through him, and everybody else just kind of has a small finger in what that success looks like on that staff. Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. So coaches will always say, well, we worry about us. You know, it's 80 or 90% about what we do. It's 10 or 20% of preparing for the opponent. As you, as, a, as an alum, get ready to watch this game, are you more worried about BYU figuring out what went wrong the last two weeks? Or are you more trying to figure out what the heck is Wazoo going to do? This is a crazy story to have happening after seven yeah. games in a 12-game season. Yeah, if, if if BYU gets lost in the story of Wazoo, right, they're going to find themselves in a pickle halfway through the second quarter. Uh, this is really an opportunity for BYU to flip the switch and carry out the rest of the season with some momentum uh, to kind of build, to grow, to get ready for, you know, obviously, we all know, contractually, going to the Independence Bowl, right, to be able to finish out the season you know, hopefully run the table. You have a few games in front of you that can be real difference makers as in, you know, as it pertains to power five teams, you have the opportunity to go and win a ball game. And then you come back and you get a lot of your guys back. Uh, and you use this as kind of a stepping stone to what greatness could be like for, for next season. Um, and that's, that's huge. But if you get lost in the thoughts, right, you're going to find yourself in a, in a bit of a pickle. Well, that could lead to a three-game losing streak, and that would wreck all the good vibes from 5-0 and to open the season. So, big game Saturday afternoon on the Palouse. Absolutely. 
All right, Dylan. Well, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking BYU football, and thanks for uh, explaining Rolo. I haven't played for him for a couple of years. We appreciate it. Hey, no worries. You guys have a good one. There is Dylan Cauley, the former BYU wide receiver, and now a guy who gives us that unique perspective. He knows Rolovich. He played for Rolovich when Rolovich was in Hawaii, and now Rolovich has stepped down at Washington State. So what happens to Wazoo without their coach? Does it bring them together, rally them, and they play even better? Do they fall apart? Or are they just kind of who they are, and how does BYU match up with them, and how does BYU respond? We're going to talk about Washington State's response, because this is such a unique story. BYU's story is more traditional. Teams are hot. BYU was, and they won five in a row. Teams cool off, have bad matchups, play better teams, lose a couple of times. BYU has. So what is the Cougars? Well, they're both Cougars. What is BYU's response to these two losses? Very intrigued to see that. For the Utes, the success has started coming now. They had back-to-back losses. They've responded with a three-game win streak. Can they make it four in a row? Can they beat Oregon State? We'll get to that next with Frank Dolce. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's another Pac-12 road trip for Utah as Kyle Whittingham and the Utes head to the Pacific Northwest to battle Oregon State in Corvallis. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4.30 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah getting ready to face Oregon State. PK, it doesn't sound like a massive matchup, but it's the leader in the South and the co-leader in the North. It's a Pac-12 network game. <laughs> yes, Phantom Fox. That surprised like, me. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a massive that, matchup. That did surprise me when I saw that. You know, I got the Pac-12 network, so I'm okay. I'm good to go. But yeah, I, I saw that and I was surprised because I think... It, it's an important game, obviously. Both teams are 4-2, and it's time to bring in Frank Dolce, Ute Insider, analyst for the Zone Sports Network. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion. Do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Frank, good morning. Good morning, guys. Hope you're doing well. Doing well, yes. A little curious your take. Utah, Oregon State. It doesn't sound like a huge game, but they're both four and two and Utes lead the South and Oregon State's tied with Oregon in the North. I get Oregon. UCLA is the big game and I can't remember it's ABC or Fox, but it's over the air. It's okay, so that game is sexier. It's the LA market. It's Oregon. It's, you know, the coach versus his old team. But I would think the Utes, that's the second-best game of the week in the conference. ASU's on a bye week, but it's shuttled off to the Pac-12 network. Like, it's nothing. Like, it's Colorado and Arizona. What are they doing? What's going on? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe Utah can use that as motivation. We're on a Pac-12 network. Let's show them! (laughs) On three! We'll show you. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, uh, I I think that... uh, yeah, I think Oregon UCLA is uh, is kind of an exciting matchup too. So, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily disagree. I think this really fits though with this kind of fits 
uh, Utah and Oregon State. I don't know if these two programs want to be flashy or, or, uh, or, you know, the, the, the uh, bell cow of the, of the conference. They just want to go out and do their work and then find themselves in a position to win a championship at the end of the year. So I think it, I think it kind of fits the personality of both of these football teams. And by the way, it's not, a great position for Utah to be in. I, it, if you go just this year alone, you go across the conference and, you know, we said Oregon was the best team in the league and then Oregon got beat the next week. And then Oregon State took control of the North and then Oregon State got beaten next week. And then uh, we said UCLA uh, was the best team in the South and then UCLA got beaten the next week. And then Arizona State was the best team in the South and then Arizona State got beaten next week. So now we're going to say, well, Utah, Utah sits atop the South. Are they the best team in the South? This is not an enviable position to be in. So what you're saying is watch out for Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's Probably exactly not. what I'm saying. Did you see the beatdown Colorado <laughs> yeah. put on Arizona? I did, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, so look out. <laughs> look out for the buffs. They're peaking, yeah. man. Just for Utah's they sake, hope they peak just, too early. <laughs> just to the right time, yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. I think this is a good Utah football team and uh but but it's like it's not like a you know, a football a Utah football team that can go out and make a bunch of mistakes. It just just look what Arizona State did. I mean, that's a good football team. They were very physical at the line of scrimmage. They kind of beat people beat beat people up. They beat Utah up at the line of scrimmage in the first half. And then they, you know, they got 13 penalties in, in that football game, which is which is equal to probably a couple turnovers which in is, the game. And, and, and it's an unusually low number for the Sun Devils. <laughs> in the state of Utah, exactly. Absolutely. You are a way better audience for him. You give him a big old laugh, and I just look at him and cross my eyes and like, oh, come, come on! on if you're not getting to 15, what is wrong with you people? Yeah, what lack of effort? I mean, we're going to be we're going to be running laps for that kind of effort. 13 penalties. We can do better than that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why you're not in stitches all the time, DJ. I mean, he's a funny guy. <laughs> I am. Exactly again. I am from getting beat up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, those kind of stitches. <laughs> yeah, right. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I think they, I think Utah's a good football team. Uh, not a perfect football team, but I think they've, you know, we've seen, they've seen what they can accomplish. And hopefully that's enough motivation to prepare well each week to go out and and play the way you're capable of playing. Because if Utah does that, then there's no reason why they can't run through and and win the division. So as a former quarterback, we know how you view the game. And the quarterback switch is obviously a big deal. It's obviously had a, a, a major impact on this season. But I know from talking to you off the air, too, as a quarterback, you look at the old line like, guys, could you not get me in stitches back here? And there were some huge mistakes being made early in the season. And it seems like that's all tightened up. There's no longer, you know, two defensive tackles there to greet the running back as he gets the handoff. Why and how have they made such improvement, and do you think that continues? Yeah, I, I think what that tells you is that um, physic, physically, athletically, there was enough talent up front based on the last couple of performances that the talent was there that mostly it was an issue of either preparation or mental errors 
and or some combination of that. So, you know, it's not that you couldn't make the step or the set or whatever you were supposed to do. It's that you just went the wrong way or you didn't do it correctly. So, um, so once you figure out that part of it, then the, then it's clear that Utah has the physical ability up front to, to make the place. And I think that's, I mean, if I'm, if I'm trying to diagnose what happened, I think that would be the first place I would go is like, they, they, they either cleaned up their preparation um, or they cleaned up the mental mistakes they were making and, 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 and probably they, they, you know, they, they got the right rotation in there and Utah didn't start the same starting five for the, for the first three games. So they got the right rotation in there. So to me, that was, that was the big issue is cleaning up all the stuff above the shoulders. And once you did that, um, then the physical attributes could take over. Oh yeah, for sure. That's, that's a significant part of it. I think there's no doubt about it. As I look at this Oregon state team, chance Nolan is a, he's a capable quarterback, but the thing that jumps out at you is their running game. You know, they've got five guys, or what, four guys averaging five and a half yards per carry. B.J. Baylor is pushing 700 yards already, uh, nine t- touchdowns. So clearly we know what they want to do uh, as far as their offensive philosophy going up against Utah's defensive philosophy. And Kyle. You know, since uh, he came out of the room, they asked him, "Hey, what do you think about life?" He says, "You got to stop the run." I mean, that's the first stop thing. The run. <laughs> that's number one. That's, was that is? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Here, PK, here's what we should do. Sometime, I mean, we, we could do it on the air. People might not enjoy it, but we could. We need to make up the Ten Commandments of Kyle Whittingham. <laughs> And and that would be number you know commandment. Now shalt thou stop shalt the not, run. Shalt not allow the run game. Yeah. On this yeah, hang like all that. the football law and the football right. coaches. I mean that's that's he he preaches that. You play golf with them. Uh, what do you think? Got to stop to run, man. <laughs> Go out to get a yeah. bite to eat, lunch. What do you think? Got to stop to run. I mean, that's just got to stop the run, and I'll have a double cheeseburger. <laughs> that's what he's fries. about to the to the nth <laughs> degree. And it looks like you know I've seen Oregon State play a little bit, but obviously you just look at their statistics, and it just jumps out at you about them running the ball. How do you think that matchup is going to play out? It's a well. I like the matchup. I think Utah and Oregon State is a good matchup for for Utah. I don't know that. I mean, there's been some crazy games in Corvallis, so that's something I think to consider. There was there was one blowout game uh, that Utah played up there, but then there was a game uh, several years ago. I believe it was in the Travis Wilson era where Utah didn't throw the ball for a hundred yards in the game. Like I think they had. They, they definitely had under 100 yards passing and figured out how to win that game in, like, an overtime scenario. I mean, it's just – it's been a funny place for Utah to go play. So that is, that is something to consider. But I like the matchup. I, I mean, I, I think Nolan provides uh, – he's not a quarterback that uh, – I, I think Utah can manage him. And, and I think Utah's going to be forced into a situation because they're going to want to stop the run where you're going to see more man coverage in the defensive secondary because you want, you're going to get, want to get people closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, and I think all of that is manageable. It's not that Nolan can't hurt you downfield, um, but I don't think he's demonstrated that on a, you know, a very high percentage basis. So 
I like the matchup. Uh, I think Utah's going to have to take some take some risks in the secondary and you know put a bunch of people toward the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then again, it, I mean, it's the same thing we talk about every week. But you just it happens up front. You have to be disruptive at the line of scrimmage. If you let Oregon State get downhill in the run game, then you're just you're going to be in trouble. 242 yards per game is a huge number, and they're leading the conference by a wide margin. UCLA is second, and Oregon is third. So should we – I know you get the arc of a program, and the Utes have been good against the run for a long time. Do you have total confidence? Because they still have to play the top three rushing offenses in the conference here in the next six games. Have you got total confidence no, I, in their ability to handle these three, these three teams as they run the ball? Well, I mean – Total confidence, no. I, it's just like the any given Saturday scenario, and and those teams are good. They're talented, and and I said earlier, um, you know, after US Utah beat USC, I thought the next two uh, most difficult opponents on the schedule were going to be Arizona State and Utah. Figured out a way to get past Arizona State, and then UCLA. Uh, because because of UCLA's run game and because of their dynamic quarterback. And then Oregon, because Oregon has, I still think, has, you know, amongst the best talent in the league. I'm not high on Oregon's quarterback play, so I don't put them as high as the others. Um, and, and then Oregon State fits right in there because Oregon State is physical at the line of scrimmage. They run the ball well. But I don't put them quite on the same level because they don't have the dynamic quarterback to deal with. So I think the quarterback position is more manageable. So to me, it, it kind of fit. I mean, this is, like, this is a classic matchup for Utah. This fits exactly what they want to try to do on the, on the defensive side against a really good running football team is, is our defensive philosophy to stop the run going to be better than your offensive ability to run the ball for almost 250 yards a game. Yes. Yeah. I would I would agree on that completely. And that, that's what's going to be the aspect to watch. Uh, they got away with it against the Devils. They got away with it against Washington State. And that's the slow starts offensively. Uh, I just don't know how long they can c- continue to keep getting away with it, basically. So they've got to They've got to come out and be a little, little bit better early to me, or I think it might catch up to them at some point. It, it's always, I, I, I think it's always difficult to play from behind, and then that you know, there's something about learning how to play from behind. And Utah's given you know they've given themselves that lesson a couple times now, but then it becomes difficult. Like it, it's challenging, and 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 uh, allowing a team to jump out ahead and gain that momentum that is also challenging to overcome so i think there's you know the, the ability for utah to, to overcome a deficit uh, we've we've seen that and so that tells you something about the football team and that's that's a positive but you know it's really difficult to do that week after yeah, week and plus after both week. of them were and, at home when they did that yeah and and by the way i mean Nothing against Utah's performance, but the ball did literally bounce their way a few times against Arizona State. I mean, it bounced right back into Cam Rising's hands, and then he ran it, you know, around the right end yep. um, on a on a broken play. Um, Arizona State dropped 
what half a dozen footballs on on catches that were very sh- should have been made, very reasonable catches to make, and would have extended drives. And so Utah was able to get out of drives on mistakes, and then and then the thirteen penalties. Now I I believe that Utah's pressure on the defensive side kind of forced those penalties. So I'm going to do kind of a half and half on that deal. But it, there still were thirteen penalties that that uh, were very meaningful in the game. So, um, so all of those factors combined, and then Utah played pretty well in the second half. All those factors combined to allow Utah to come back. Well, you know, let's if you get into a game like that against an Oregon State or UCLA or or Oregon, you know, are they going to have the drop balls? Are they going to have thirteen penalties? Are they going to, you know, make all these mental errors in the second half of the game? It's it's not likely. So. Playing from behind is difficult. I like that Utah has demonstrated the ability to come back and to, and to have the mental fortitude to win a game like that. But it's diff- it's challenging if you're going to do that each and every week. They're doing a better job of holding on to the ball, occasional uh, drop balls and good hops notwithstanding. But you go to Corvallis, it's supposed to be like 50 degrees and raining. How much faith do you have in the receivers catching it and the running backs holding on to it? Well, I I guess I would have more faith in uh, running backs holding on to it in in that type of scenario. We when you when when Utah used to play Air Force and the weather was bad, you just love that because when the ball's in the air and then you're trying to catch it on the on the option and then all of a sudden it's bouncing all over the field. I mean that was that was kind of the ideal scenario, but I don't see that happening in the run game for for Utah or or for for Oregon State, so uh, run game I think should be more, much more secure. But the passing game now that that may pose an issue, and a, you know a wet ball is the most difficult. Cold isn't isn't as difficult. Snow isn't as difficult. But a wet ball is the most difficult. It's slick. It's heavy. Um, the rotation on the ball is not the same. So. Uh, I think that is absolutely something that 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 Utah and and we'll have to consider as we as we go into this game against Oregon State is who's going to be able to manage the football turnovers are certainly are, are certainly going to play a, a role in the game. I think. Frank, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate the time, and we will talk to you again next week. Hey, absolutely. Thanks. I appreciate it, uh, PK. When you want to get get together and start putting down the Ten Commandments of Kyle Whittingham. I'll make myself available. Right. Thou loves cooking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's probably, we could probably come up with like 20 commandments. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Three three or four would be stopping the run, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can steal. As long as you stop the run, who cares? (laughs) Well, he's all about the takeaways. (laughs) Turnover margin is critical. Turnover. Thou shalt not turn over the ball. I mean, that's a that's a huge. Thou shalt huge thou shalt well. get four and a score. Four and a score. Yeah, you know that's a good one too. So I'm sure we could come up with a with a quality list. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, guys. Great to talk to you. There is Frank Dolce, our Ute Insider. We love having Frank on every week. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.